Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Hey team, oh, this is really exciting. We've got Raquel Reed with us. I was ba- making sure that I get Raquel's name right. I've been practicing because I, I just confused my brain instantly by trying to say it in different ways. But Raquel, welcome. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Now, you. there's a few reasons why we're super excited to have you on the show. One of them is the life that you lead, which is we can't wait for you to tell our listeners about. And the other one is kind of just your alcohol story and your journey. Um, but before, you know, we open the floor to that, what what are the things that you'd love people to know, just like a mini whistle stop tour of you and, and, you know, what it is you do and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I'm uh, Raquel Reed from Nova Scotia, Canada, and I'm a certified This Naked Mind coach. I actually went through certification with Sam and I uh, coach midlife mavericks on um who are kind of their life is stuck in self-doubt. I coach them through self-doubt, through uh, self-mastery. And currently I am a solo world traveler and my home at the moment is Nicaragua and that will change to Colombia later this afternoon. <laughs> that is cool. So we've literally, I said, we've literally caught you just in in the middle of your, your transition time. Well, look, yep. I don't know what makes it like, I'm super interested to know how you're doing that. Having spent the best part of 10 years out of the UK uh, and and traveling not not I don't think quite in the same way that you are I'm super excited to hear all about that so perhaps we can find time for that at the end yeah but, um, mm-hmm. you know just our listeners they one thing we know that they love is just to hear like a heartfelt story of of someone's how they found freedom from alcohol and all the you know all the things that make sense to you to share so I don't know where it makes sense for you to start some people start in the middle some people start at the beginning but go for it the floor is yours let us know your your story Well, I'll start at the end. I work my way back. Um, My journey with alcohol ended 10 months after rehab. And I was on the floor in my living room, crying on my hands and knees, begging something to help me because I didn't know what I was crying to. Um, Because I I had reached that point where I could, I, I knew that I just could not continue to exist the way I was so it was either end my existence or end alcohol and thankfully I ended alcohol and I just celebrated uh, 12 years of sobriety last week amazing yeah good for you so um but it didn't it didn't like it it wasn't always that bad because I my son was about my son's 23 now and he was about five years old when the mummy wine culture started to emerge. So that was, you know, like early 2000s. Prior to that, people that drank at home alone were considered problem drinkers right from the get-go. I mean, if you if you drank at home alone, you were one of those people that had a problem with alcohol because it was, it just wasn't done. And then, you know, through marketing and the brilliance of the uh, alcohol companies this they discovered a new market which was women and 
the the marketing started coming out that it was actually cool and chic and sophisticated to have a glass of wine at home after work while you're cooking supper for your son. And that's, that's kind of how it started. And it like prior to that, I didn't even keep alcohol in my house. Like I just didn't drink that often. And when I did drink, I would buy a bottle of wine or two if I was having people over or if I was going out with friends, that would be the quantity. And then I wouldn't buy more until you know, two months later when I did that again. <laughs> and so I started to slowly kind of incorporate a bottle of wine on a Friday night. And usually there would be some left over on Saturday, which is in my mind now is unheard of. <laughs> and then that slowly progressed to drinking two to three bottles every single night. In that, And that was in the span of about three and a half, four years. So it wasn't, wasn't a very long time. It, you know, like I, I progressed very, very quickly to the point where, um, it was a, it was a long weekend in Nova Scotia and, and it was the weekend. It was a long weekend just before schools go back. So it was kind of this big family weekend. All, you know, families would go out and one last hurrah for the summer. So it was a beautiful morning and my son wanted to go to the beach and I really wanted to take him. And we lived about a half an hour from the beach and um, I had woken up, you know, it was Saturday morning. So of course I drank Friday night at home alone as usual. Um, well, not alone because my son was there and I'd woken up really hungover and still drunk from the night before. So I really wanted to have a drink to take the edge off, but knew that if I did that, then we wouldn't go to the beach because that would just be followed by more drinks and more drinks and the day would be written off. So, and prior to that, like I hadn't, I was not drinking through the week while going to work, but I did, I did have a really tough time on the weekends, not drinking during the day and actually getting out and functioning, like going grocery shopping, running errands, taking my boy out to do things. That was the real struggle for me at that point. Um, so this this particular morning, I made it until about 10 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, and I just felt like death. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have one glass of wine. Well, of course, that one glass turned into two or three. Then I put some wine in a travel mug and hopped in the car and went off to the beach. And so continued to drink at the beach in the hot sun. Drove home. Well, I was intoxicated driving there and driving back. And when we got back, like my son was so upset because he was not, he was now um, 10 years old. So he was not blind to what was going on. He knew what was going on. And he was really upset with me. I was devastated that I had done that to him. And that, and that like, I just couldn't believe that I had gotten that bad. So I called his dad and um, I told no one knew, absolutely no one knew. So I called his father and said, like, this is what's going on. This is what I did today. And Liam is not safe with me. Can he come and live with you for a little while until I get my until I get my shit sorted out? And his dad and I were, were active co-parents. So he said, yes, of course, a hundred percent will support you. I had no idea. Is there anything I can do to help? And so he, he was, he was very receiving and very supportive. And so my son went to the next day, we packed up his stuff and I took him over to live with his dad. 
And that was, that was in September. And um, I thought it would get better over the next couple of months. And it got a hell of a lot worse over the next couple of months. And to the point where he couldn't even come and see me because I would go to work and I was, I was leaving early most days. Like I was supposed to be at the office until five o'clock and I'd make up excuses to leave at 3.30, 4, 4.30, just to get home and drink because I was going through. By the time three o'clock set in, I was in full-on anxiety. Like, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was alcohol withdrawal that I was going through. Mm. And it was like full-on anxiety to the point where I was almost on the verge of of a panic attack. Like, I couldn't even write my name. I was shaking so bad by three o'clock in the afternoon. So... Um, work was that, that was, that's another story. That situation was getting rather perilous as well because they were catching on to what was going on. So my son's birthday was in late November and his dad was having a party for him at a, at a like an outside place. So, and I was invited. So I went and it was the same thing. It was a Saturday night. I tried not to drink all day. I, I, I managed to hold off the um, drinking until about four o'clock in the afternoon. The party was at six and I arrived at the party after having a few glasses of wine. As soon as I walked in, my son looked at me and he said, you've been drinking. I, I hardly even said anything to him and he knew because he could, you could see it in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't realize that at the time, but he knew as soon as he saw me that I had been drinking so that kind of set the tone for his birthday party. He was really disappointed. He was really upset with me. And after about an hour, he asked me to leave. So I left. And that was on a Saturday. And on Monday, I started calling rehabs to, you know, figure out. I didn't, at that point, I didn't feel I was safe because I was, you know, I was waking up with bruises and and sprains and had a few fractures and all while at home alone by myself. So um, on Friday, I admitted myself into a rehab facility for 28 days. And I'd like to say that was the end of it, but it wasn't. Um, after that, it was a 10-month struggle of um, I would be I would be alcohol free for a month or two, sometimes three. And then I would go, then I became a binge drinker and I would go on a binge and I would, you know, like I would shut off my phone. I wouldn't, I'd go camping in the woods somewhere and just drink for two or three days. So that was, that was devastating on my family because they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know if I was dead or alive. And it finally ended on October 21st, I just, I just kind of said like, I need help with this. And I don't know where the help came from. I'm not, I'm a spiritual person, but not a religious person. So I don't care where the, where the help came from, but it came and I was able to, I had made the decision, like, this is it. I, I can't do this to myself. I can't do this to my son and my family. Like this is, I've, I, I just, I have to do this. I have to give it my all. And I had made the decision that if if I didn't succeed with it this time, that I was just going to take myself out of the equation because I couldn't keep, I couldn't live, I couldn't sustain on this roller coaster. And at that time, 
um, there wasn't, you know, this was 12 years ago. Andy Grace didn't exist. There wasn't, um, there wasn't a lot out there that was reputable in, um, you know, there were some, there were some fringe groups, but I wanted something that, that was kind of tried and, and true. So I thought, so, um, and AA was free and, and the rehab facility that I went to was a 12 step rehab. So they, you know, they advocated AA, they, they taught us AA in there. And when we came out, we were expected to instantly get a sponsor, get a home group, start going to meetings, all of that. So I did that. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. And, um, it, you know, it, AA worked for me to a point, like I, I did, I did manage to, um, maintain sobriety after that, that last one, which was October 21st. And I dove right in. I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with, with all my heart. I'm going to give it my everything. So, you know, the, like in AA, they say like, you're supposed to be involved in service and you're supposed to, um, support your home group and, and sponsor other sponsees once you feel ready to do that. So I did all of that. I was, I was on the, um, executive board for a region. I hosted roundups. I went to thousands of meetings all over the province. Um, I spoke at meetings and supported my home group. And at one time I was sponsoring about five women at a time, which was a bit much because I had appointments every day of the week with sponsees. (laughs) And after a while, it was like, it, it just felt, it felt very, um, like I started to feel very small and irrelevant in in my recovery. It was kind of like I had made alcohol small and irrelevant. So that was a, a massive success for me. But then I started to, well, I didn't start to, I did from the beginning. I lived a very, um, I'd like to say simple, but it wasn't a simple life. I was hiding from life. Um, I kind of, I would go out and go to these meetings and I'd walk in and everybody would say like, oh my God, you're doing so well. And, you know, I would have old timers telling me that I was the AA poster girl because I was doing everything right. And then I would go home and I would hide in my, in my home. I wouldn't, I wasn't going out interacting with the world because I just, AA had, had helped me kick the alcohol, but it hadn't helped with the rest, which was, you know, I had absolutely zero self-esteem. My self-worth was in the toilet. I had no self-confidence. I was racked with self-doubt. Like I couldn't even make basic decisions. I questioned everything I did. And I felt like I had lost my autonomy in a way. Um, and I've ta- I've spoken with other women that I've worked with through coaching and their experience has been very similar. And my autonomy I, well, I had, I had willingly given it up, but I didn't realize I had done that at the time because toward the end of my drinking, people were having to manage me a bit because I was a hot mess and that carried over into my non-drinking. People were still trying to manage me and I felt so guilty for what I had done that I, I felt as if I owed it to them to let them do that, even though I was a grown-ass woman and I could handle my own life. And I just had this tremendous guilt, like, I have to do what people tell me to do. If people suggest something to me that, you know, is not 
insane, then I should probably do that. Like I, I had this, my, like I was approaching the world from a place of lack. I didn't, I wasn't enough. So I had to lean on other people that I thought knew better than me. I had no inner resources and it took a while for me to kind of, and I wasn't finding the answers that I wanted in AA. So that's when I started to kind of step back. I gave up all my positions and um, started to step back from my group and from meetings and seek other things outside of AA. Like I, um, I studied meditation for many years while drinking, which, you know, drinking and med- meditation don't always go. <laughs> Not a great couple, are they? <laughs> you know, falling off my cushion. <laughs> so I started to get back into that and um, went pretty deep into that and went through um, went through a bunch of um, meditation training levels. And, and so that was really good for me. That kind of that was where I feel like I met myself again on those mm-hmm. cushions. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, you know, like when you're drinking, you're so disconnected from yourself. And I think, I think for me, I had already been disconnected from myself and the drinking helped me numb that out because that was so painful. And I didn't, I had no idea what it was until many years later. But I think that's part of the reason why I drank is because I'm running around in this body in this, in this vessel. And I don't even know who the hell she is. I don't know what she really wants. I don't know what her dreams are. And and I didn't dare to dream like that. That just seems so sad to me to, you know, for a woman who doesn't dare to dream because she doesn't feel like she has anything that, that could make them come true. And so on those meditation cushions in sobriety, I feel like I met myself for the first time. And that's when I started to get to know myself and I started to really accept myself and that, you know, you are good enough. You're okay as you are. And that took, it took, it took a long time. And then I started um, building connections with women that I had known in AA and I kind of pulled them aside and said, let's start this hiking group. So we did. And that became like, you know, I still, on the other side of the world, I'm still having Zoom meetings with those women every once a month. <laughs> and we just, you know, we would, when I was living in Nova Scotia, we would go on um, girls weekends every few months. And yeah, so I, those women were, that was kind of a going out hiking with them. And, and I don't know if you guys have ever been to Nova Scotia, probably not, but we have the most beautiful coastal, the, the coastlines, like they're, you know, they're they're rocky and they're high. We do have a few beaches, but nothing really to speak of. Um, so when you're out on the coast hiking, it's just like this surreal experience. You feel the power of the water and the power of the rocks and the land, and and it all kind of comes together. So we would sit out in those rocks for hours, just talking and sharing and being really raw with one another. And it was kind of the first time that I felt really, really safe and protected by by other women. And it was a, it was a time for me to be completely myself and not feel judged, not feel like I wasn't accepted, not, and I didn't feel like I wasn't enough. So that kind of having that cushion 
getting to know myself kind of launched me into this path of of personal development and self-discovery where you know I've been I call myself a personal development super fan because I love that shit like I I hope that I keep doing that for the rest of my life keep bettering myself keep evolving myself keep developing myself mm-hmm. and that's what led me to coaching and now so now I work with women that you know, my, my niche is kind of women that have already stopped drinking. So I work with a lot of women coming out of rehab facilities. Um, and in fact, I work with, I mean, I call myself the offboarding coach. I, I'm not employed by them. It's entirely pro bono, but I work with um, a recovery house in Nova Scotia. And it's kind of this, it's this really unique place. It's like a long-term facility where women can stay for six to 12 months. Wow. And, and it's a holistic approach. It's not a 12-step approach. And so I, I approached them after I got certified and said, like, I would like to work with your clients coming out to bridge that gap between treatment and, you know, back into life. So that's been a joy for me. And, you know, like there, there are common themes with, with the women that I work with that are, you know, like they're coming out the other side of alcohol and their, their sense of self is just battered into the ground. Mm. And there's, there's not a lot out there. I, and I, I see that that people are starting to develop programs that address that side of it. It's not just the alcohol anymore. It's, it's you know, it's kind of a mix of both now. Like, people do need to do that inner work after they leave alcohol behind. Like, when I, when I left alcohol behind, it was kind of like, I found myself saying, and I couldn't believe that I was saying it. I felt so guilty saying it. But I kind of thought, is this it? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm really not, I'm not miserable, but I'm not joyful. Um, and I want to, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was kind of like, I want to be joyful. I want to be like, I've done this really hard thing and I've come out the other side of it. And what's on the other side to me felt rather um, flat. Mm. The, 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 there's a couple of um, things that you've said that just really like hit me right in the heart because it's absolutely my experience as well. And that where you just said, is is this it? Is this it? So I I remember being in the live alcohol experiment uh, and I was about halfway through and I was overjoyed that I wasn't drinking anymore. I couldn't believe that I wasn't drinking anymore and I was happy about it. It was just, you know, utterly... Um, unbelievable to me so from that perspective like on the outside everything looks great but just as you say I had this or the way that I described it at the time I remember going on to a live and it was coach Terry Patterson who's been on the podcast before and I said coach Terry I just I I feel like like I, I know I don't want to drink and I'm really happy about that but I've got this overwhelming feeling of self-sabotage and like, mm-hmm. what is this all about? Where does it come from? And she and she said to me, it sounds like you're asking yourself the question, is this it? And that's exactly what I was saying. So it, it, it's, it, that is the fundamental thing, because as you say, if you're, if you approach this as removing a substance, but you're not prepared to go any deeper than that, then you will replace the substance with something else and it will become sugar or 
gummies or social media or Netflix or whatever else. So the propensity to turn towards the inner work is so important at a pace that you can handle and at a time that you're ready because we're not always you know, going to follow the same kind of timeline. But where it leads you to is somewhere so special. And the other, the other thing that really pricked my ears up was when you said about daring to dream. And it took me back, right? So when I first qualified as a coach and I was putting my programs together and I was, uh, this is really, I'm like, oh, how cute, Ellie. So back then when I just certified and I was putting these two programs together, and I'm like, what am I going to call these programs? And you know what I called one of my programs? Yeah. Dare to dream. Dare to dream. Dare to dream, and it was, and it yeah. was, you know, this this notion of that. There's so much more here. You know, our podcast. I'm so thrilled that you're here because our podcast is all about making your life bigger, not smaller. And we have no idea, uh, just what can be ahead ahead of us. But just being open to it is that's the only calling is being open to it. And yeah. you know, we. People are always asking, like, you know, what, what what's the thing I need to do? And it's like you, you don't need to do anything. You do, you need to make yourself available, and 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 that's that goes right back to that moment of surrender that you talked about. The I don't know who I'm asking for help, but here I am, and I'm asking for it, and I'm I'm here, and I'm willing. And we don't get one shot at that. We get to come back as many times as we like. You know, we we'll we'll stumble and we'll fall and we'll you know take a, a turn here there and everywhere but we can always come back and we can always ask for help and that help um you know some people may believe it comes from a man with a beard in the sky and and, and others will <laughs> believe it comes from somewhere else entirely it does as you say it doesn't matter where you think it's coming from the, the thing that matters is that you open yourself up to the um the belief that it, that it's there and all you need to do is ask and you will receive yeah yeah that's that's beautiful that kind of i did that in the beginning and and i received what i needed to receive and then i kind of i felt like i closed off to that and until i was in pain again and and then i asked for it again and i was directed in the way that i needed to go and it was you mentioned um if you don't address that work when you leave the alcohol behind, you turn to other things. I gained 70 pounds in wow. AA. Wow. In those first in those first few years of um, recovery, I gained 70 pounds by eating caramel cone explosion by Hawken Dawes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rice creams are available. <laughs> no. Other ones, would... <laughs> other ones would not do. <laughs> it had to be that and then after i after i kind of made that shift for myself and started to i feel like take control of my life again that's when i didn't i didn't try to lose weight the, the weight just left me it wasn't you know i didn't i didn't make a conscious effort i mean i was being more active and i was starting to feel better about myself and taking more care of myself and in, in how I ate and I, you know, reduced and eventually eliminated the uh, caramel cone explosion. I kicked that to the side as well. So that helped, but it, it wasn't, I didn't go into it trying to lose weight. That was just a pleasant side effect of what happened. And I went back down to the weight that I was when 
when I was healthy. Oh, you muted, this- Sam. Oh, rookie, rookie yeah, error there, can you, Sam. Can you hear me now? That's weird. I don't know why that is. These are one of the things that we, I love that you mentioned that, Raquel, because I think like when it comes to things like hormones, which are kind of, um, it's like the language of the body. So the thing is, when yeah. we, if we, if we don't realize, if we're looking for our inherent, if we're looking for self-worth and value in like who we think we are, and we've lost touch with the truth of who we really are, then just a glimpse of that is enough to kind of just, just, just open us up to that beauty that's always been there, that just got eclipsed by the, like the journey we're on and all the muck that had like built, innocently built up upon it. And, and in an instant that can just clear the system out in a way that seems like weird and wacky. Like, how is this weight suddenly going? Like I, I've been trying to get rid of this through dieting or this kind of stuff. And the truth of the matter is that, but if we've, if any of us have been holding on to cortisol, cause we've innocently been stressed because we've had a core, some core stuff going on that's been invisible. The moment that starts to shake away, well, of course your hormones start signaling different to each other. You know, the system's incredibly wise. It's constantly trying to just wake us up, bring us home, remind us that we're whole. And that flat feeling, I love that you mentioned that thing that people feel about being flat because what often happens in my experience is people get that kind of like rush of whoa what was i worried about pink cloud however they want to describe it and then sometimes there's a flatness or a numbness or a malaise that comes in and they start pointing out there going oh shit is this it like is this is this what i'm kind of how i'm going to be for the rest of my life but actually it's like a it's almost like ice that's formed on top of all of the rich beauty of feelings and stuff, but your your system isn't gonna kind of allow those back in until you realize, until you know it's safe. Like it's not stupid, the system, it's incredibly clever. So a lot of that yeah. inner work is in understanding the, the safety of feelings, the safety of emotions. And so that journey, that knock when we hear it, as scary as it can be, I think if you talk to anybody who hand on heart is truly free from alcohol, which is not the same as just not drinking, truly free. Yeah. They have been through their own process in that realm. I don't really, I don't think it's possible to move through to true freedom without that at our own pace with a, in a safe group with people that we know, love and trust and all that stuff. But I think it's very important you bring that up because I've lost count of the amount of people that there's lots of, I don't think we've spoken about it that much on this show, but a, a lot of people share that Raquel. So I think that's going to, a lot of people are going to hear that at a very deep level. Yeah. I also felt this kind of, um, like when I was asking, is this it? I felt this intense shame and guilt for even asking that question because I had, I had given up alcohol and like, my God, my life was so much better. Like, how dare I ask for more? I kind of felt that way. And then I changed the question and it was like, well, how dare I not ask for more? Yeah. And that's, that's when things changed. And you, you said you're given um, a glimpse and the glimpses that were shown to me when I was drinking, I couldn't look them in the eye. Mm. And I had a few glimpses shown to me after that. And now I have them all the time, but there was a glimpse that was shown to me and I'm probably going to cry just talking about this, but it was, it was after it was a couple of years after I'd stopped drinking, I had a glimpse of who I really was and she was so fucking strong and powerful. She was like a mountain. And I thought that's who I really am. So I'm, I'm done playing small. I'm done feeling like I don't fit in. I'm done feeling like I'm not enough because I am enough. And it was kind of, I 
started walking toward her. And that's what, and the path just, as soon as I opened up to becoming her, the path just opened up for me. So beautiful. And it was, it was, it was amazing. And, and like now, you know, now I see glimpses of that all the time. And, and I saw a glimpse when I made the decision to, to adopt the lifestyle that I have now, like a, a little over a year ago, I had decided to um, do something really big and really powerful and really insane. And that was to travel full time. And I was, I was sitting with a friend having coffee and we were talking, it was this guy that I had just started dating and it's really great. Like had I stayed in Nova Scotia, we probably would have went somewhere, but I knew I wasn't, it wasn't going to happen because we were talking about, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, well, I, in five years, five, 10 years down the road, I want to travel with my coaching business. And that's the beauty of coaching. I can do it from anywhere. And then as soon as I said that, I thought, no, that feels too safe. Like, I'm just going to keep pushing that five, 10 years down the road for the next 20 years. So I've got to take some massive action here now and start making this happen if I ever want this to happen. So I said, actually, no, I I think I'm going to go in 18 months. And he just kind of looked at me like, what? And then that evolved, that that shortened down to nine months. And yeah, I, I hit the road on February 28th. And I've been traveling on my own through Central and South America for the last eight months. That those those kinds of like that's amazing. Those kinds of decisions are so funny because like if you ask yourself the question, like what would actually stop me from doing that a month from now? You'd be surprised how how often the answer is a lot less than I've been making up in my head. So that's not me saying to everybody, do it in a month. But or yeah, like that's a really cool thing to share. That whole oh, five years from now, ten years from now, that's um, it doesn't have to take that long. It doesn't no. have to take that long. like no. it. We we grossly overestimate. I think how long it's going to take for us to do incredible things. Um, so what's the so what are you up to then? So how long are you spending in each place? Like how are you determining where you go? Like what's how are you being led just by the heart or what? How's by it my going? heart? Yeah. yeah. I I belong to a lot of uh, digital nomad groups on Facebook and solo travel groups on Facebook. And I I just kind of, you know, I I don't post very often, but I read the posts and when when a place if someone speaks about a place and that place speaks to me, then I start doing a little research and figure out is that somewhere that I want to go. And so I've spent I spent a couple of months in Costa Rica. And I spent um, a couple of months in Colombia and a few months or two months in um, Ecuador. And now I'm here in Nicaragua and I've been, I've been on this amazing Island for the last two months. That has been absolutely delightful. And I leave here today and I'm heading back to Colombia for a few months because I've absolutely fallen in love with Colombia. So I'm going there to max out my tourist visa. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stay until I have to leave. And then, then I haven't decided where I'm going to go next. I might come back to Nicaragua and stay on the mainland for a couple of months because there's, um, there's Granada is a city in a smaller city in Nicaragua that I've been hearing a lot of good things about through other digital nomads and through people I've met here on the island. They, they speak very highly of it. So I might go there. I don't know. This is the first time that I'm 
flying to one destination without my next destination plan. So I'm, I'm kind of, because I, when I started, I was planning like six months out mm-hmm. and I continued to do that. And now, you know, I've only got the next three months planned out after that. I don't know where I'm going to be or what I'm going to do. I might go to Europe. Maybe I'll go to Asia. I don't know. Those are all on my list of to do. So. Wow. What a lifestyle. What a lifestyle. And so when you embarked upon this, did you, because you've obviously got ties, like you have your son, who's um, obviously much older now, but how, um, how does your lifestyle, your nomadic lifestyle fit with what you left behind? Um, well, it doesn't really, (laughs) I sold, I sold everything that I owned. So all I own now is in my suitcase. Wow. God, that's free. That's free. That was that, that process of selling everything you own, that could be a whole podcast episode in Mm. itself. Like that was transformative. It really was. And it's, so now I, you know, now my, my, my whole family, like my mom and dad and my, my siblings are in Nova Scotia. My son is in Nova Scotia. My, my friends that have become family over the years are in Nova Scotia. So we do keep in contact quite regularly. Um, my son and I text every day. I, unfortunately he's 23 and he does not like to talk on the phone. So he doesn't call me or he doesn't answer my calls, <laughs> but He'll text me several times a day, every single day. So at least I get that. (laughs) Yeah, that might change as well. I used to be like that. And now I talk to my mom a lot more often. So yeah. 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 (laughs) I used to be like that too, Sam. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And like how, you know, what a time to be doing this kind of um, you know, embarking upon this kind of a decision because from a technology perspective, you know, as you say, you can it's easy to keep in touch with folks. Um, to plan where you're going next, researching and being able to work. So um, you're, how long have you been coaching for, um, Raquel? Uh, two years. Two years. And, and and how are you finding, because as you say, you can you can run a coaching business from anywhere, but how, how are you finding that that fits in with, um, with this, uh, th- this kind of travel that you're doing? It fits in beautifully. <clears throat> mm because i'm i'm i find that i'm growing as a person i'm evolving as a person and it's it's making me a better coach mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. wonderful i think i um i think the the planet traveling and just life is is the ultimate coach right mm-hmm. and i think yeah. so I, I left the uk when i was 23 and i didn't basically come back to live here until I was uh, like four years ago. It's like 31, something like that. Um, and I mean, the, the the person I was when I left, I mean, wow. Like to, to go and travel around and work in different places and live in different places and just see, there's this kind of like invisible, like there's obviously these like massive kind of like culture shocks that you have and these incredible conscious learnings, but there's almost this like um, subconscious shifts that happen as well that are kind of just you go from one reality tunnel to another reality tunnel to another reality tunnel and everyone is either a little bit different or a lot different and you just suddenly realize like it's all fucking made up like it's all made up like you can literally cross a border and all this shit that's illegal there isn't is legal there and you can go here and like it's mad and there is an impact of that, which I just, to anyone, it's not for everybody, but for anyone who feels the call to go and do some kind of longer term traveling, if you've got that in your heart, 
um, you know, it's such an incredible experience. I mean, I, I count myself incredibly lucky and I look forward to the next chance, uh, the next possibility to be able to do that next opportunity. Um, and, and for me, it's been really weird, Raquel, because I've been back after that period. I've now been back home in the UK for five years and I've, and I haven't left a lot. Um, so now I'm kind of like, I'm kind of finding myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really interesting thing for me to kind of go on that journey as well and kind of reorient mm-hmm. back to having a home base and stuff. Um, but I think it's really yeah. inspiring. And I think a lot of people, they might not want it. Like takes a I think there's a huge amount of courage in what you're doing. And I, and I think some people will be called to that. Um, but even just breaking out of the ways that you might normally do something, you know, if you might normally go on a package holiday, like actually just going and just booking all the separate parts yourself and going on a bit of an adventure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those things were really amazing. Yeah. Prior, prior to this, I had only ever done package holidays. I had only ever done all-inclusive getaways. So I hadn't really traveled. Yes, I, I've flown to a few places, but I haven't I experienced the resort in those places, but I didn't really experience the country. So this kind of travel was, you know, when I left Canada, I had never traveled by myself and I hadn't traveled very much. So I was complete newbie to all of this. And I'm still figuring things out. I've made you know, I made one mistake in Ecuador that cost me $3,000. So it was, I'm learning as I'm going. And I I was out here swimming off the beach uh, last week and a local came running down the beach, said, there's a shark, there's a shark. So I got the hell out of the water. Like I'm figuring things out as I go. And there's a few bruises, but I'm doing okay. And it's, it's one of the things that I have found. You You were talking about things are different in each place. So you're the only constant. Yeah. That you have. So you had better have a damn good relationship with yourself. And I figured that out pretty early on. Like, if I don't have my own back, no one else is going to. Like, I'm, I have to be my cheerleader in the corner. I have to be the one who supports me when, when times get tough. I have to be the one who, you know, picks me up out of a funky mood. Like, I have to be the one and I have to sometimes be the one to allow myself to be in a funky mood if that's what I need. Like, you know, I, I really have to be my my biggest cheerleader and my biggest supporter. So I would I would recommend before you go on a journey like this, at least start that kind of work. But even if you didn't, once you're on it, you'll figure it out pretty damn fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll you'll catch up. You'll uh it's yeah, like baptism up. by fire. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, hey, I love that. This, I think that's amazing. Like there's so much, uh, I know from reading through your website, mate, that there was, you know, I kind of really got this sense of you just helping people take their power back, um, which is exactly clearly what you're doing and you're shining a light for that. So so if people, and I'm sure people have like listened to this and they feel really inspired, how do people reach out to you? What are the things that you're up to? Like tell us all that cool stuff. Well, I just, um, I just finished actually this week finished a course called rise and it's a free course that I'm offering. It's a four week course and it is designed specifically around this about taking your power back about going, you know, moving from that place of being stuck in the mud of self doubt to self mastery, like the, you know, getting back into the flow of life. And it it is designed for um, specifically women who have left alcohol behind and are, are asking that question is this it? This is not it. That's not, there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. And that little voice inside that gets louder year after year is telling you 
but there's a hell of a lot more to it that you were meant for a lot more. So I'm offering, so they can find that on my website, uh, raquelry.com slash rise, R-I-S-E. Awesome. Sounds fabulous. Sounds fabulous. Thank you so much, Raquel. It's been really lovely to spend this time with you. And I, I do want to book you back in to talk about the process of selling yeah. everything. I'm yeah, really <laughs> intrigued by that. <laughs> I kind of want to do it myself, like torch everything and run. I think, you know, just for the just for the personal growth in that experience, I would recommend people every 10 years or so just sell all their shit and start over. Yeah. Well, I kind of had a, a mini one of those in the so last last year when I separated from my husband and was leaving the family home and moving to where I am now, and uh, you know, it's a, a small property. Um, just you know, from a practicality perspective, like I couldn't bring everything, and yeah. the process of letting go of so much, you know, stuff, just material stuff that you know has been I've been carrying around and accumulating for years, and and some of it was linked to like when I was a kid we we didn't have we weren't we weren't in poverty but we didn't have a lot of money so it mm-hmm. was drummed into us you know you you look after what you have because you you're not getting, you're not getting a replacement and so I, I was you know in that place of scarcity and lack of like th- there's not enough so I have to I have to look after and um you know keep tight hold of, of what I have but to what end you know and, and there was a really simple example of like we were after we were married, we bought this really beautiful set of Vera Wang crockery. And that Vera Wang crockery came out one Christmas and then it just sat in a <laughs> cupboard for you know however many years we were married, 13, 14 years that we were married. And when when I was moving, I said to my friend, oh, maybe I should sell that. And she went, Ellie, just fucking use it. Use it. Get some pleasure out of it. And of course, and that's now that's my everyday, everyday um crockery. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's just it's astonishing the stuff that we hold on to. And, um, you know, and, and some some of it is also linked to, you know, like but, what, I lost my father when I was young and I didn't really have anything of his. Um, all of his possessions were kind of um, sent off and um, we didn't, you know, I had, had kind of had nothing to hold on to. And at that time, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't I just didn't know how to process the grief and I felt like I needed something to hold on to and that kept me stuck for an awful long time and now having the realization of like you 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 need nothing you don't need to hold on to anything and when you can let go of everything then you start to feel deeply connected um it's it, it's really quite um quite incredible and then the, the the things that you do choose to hold on to the things that are in your suitcase you really value you really value and you covet and you take care of and you gain so much pleasure from. So I definitely, definitely want to do the episode giving everything up and then what's in your suitcase now. (laughs) I think that'd be really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) The only things in my suitcase are entirely practical, except for one, um, I do carry a little glass bluebird that my mother gave me and it, it reminds me of my grandmother and my mother. So that comes with me i love yeah. it oh goodness me well thank you again this has been a really interesting yeah uh, conversation. this has been fun mm-hmm. i enjoyed this awesomeness well look forward to the next time and uh look forward to seeing where you are as well so have a lovely flight later um yep and uh yeah have fun in columbia i'm sure uh i'm sure you will all right mate
Oh, I will. I can't wait to get back to Colombia. It's 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 an electric country. It's just the energy is just woo. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, mate. And I know that our listeners will be looking forward to the next time as well. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Be safe.